0: I want you to see that, that God accomplishes his glorious mission through ordinary people and ordinary means. Now, this, if, you're, if you're looking at this miracle and it sounds familiar, that's because there is a miracle that's very similar to it, uh, described in Luke chapter 5. And in both of these miracles, right, the disciples fish all night, but they catch nothing. So Jesus commands them to try again. He says, "'Throw your nets on the other side of the boat.'" They obey Jesus and then they catch this miraculous number of fish. Not only that, but in both miracles Jesus' lordship is revealed by the profession of faith of one of the disciples. And then Jesus leads disciples to follow him. So, I think we have to ask ourselves, what is the point of these miracles and what are their similar why are they so similar and what's their point? I think the key to understanding these miracles is, is seeing what Jesus says and does after them. After the first miracle, Jesus told the disciples, he said, Do not be afraid, for I will make you fishers of men. And after that, the disciples followed Jesus. They left everything. They followed Jesus. As Jesus went and he taught, he healed, he did his miracles, and he gathered men to himself to follow him. Jesus went out as a fisher of men, and he took these disciples who were fishermen, and they went out with him. Well, now Jesus is about to send to heaven. And what happens in this second miracle, the disciples after this, they followed, we see in Acts, they followed the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit guides them as they go out and they proclaim the gospel and they gather thousands and thousands of people into the kingdom of God so that they might experience eternal life. So these miraculous catches serve as transition points for the disciples. The first they transition from fishermen to disciple fishermen. And they're learning how to fish through Jesus. And then here they transition from these disciple fishermen into what later they'll be apostle fishermen. And they go out and they lay the foundation for the early church doing God's glorious mission of bringing eternal life to people through the ordinary means of grace. And so as we We kind of break down the rest of this passage tonight. That's what I want you to see. I want you to see how God uses ordinary people and ordinary means of grace to accomplish this mission. The first thing we see is that God uses ordinary disciples. At the beginning, you see that that it lists off the name of the disciples that were there. It says it's Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee. The sons of Debedee and two other disciples were there together right? We know one of those disciples is John, but there's at least one disciple there that's not named. He's not, he's not famous. I'm guessing he's probably not one of the 12. Maybe he was another disciple from the area that was a part of their, of their group. But I love the fact that this unnamed disciple is a part of this miraculous catch. And I think that's what, what this shows us, is that everybody, all of Jesus' disciples, every member of the church— from the the youngest it to the oldest elder in the church, can all be a part of God's glorious mission of bringing people into salvation. There is no unimportant people in the body of Christ. There is nobody in here that doesn't have a gift, a talent, a resource that they could use to help people um, believe and know the gospel. So God uses these, these ordinary disciples, but it's not their power. They fished all night. They didn't catch anything. Jesus was the one who gave them directions. Jesus was the, the one who gave them the power. All they did was humbly um, submit themselves to Jesus' word. They humbly obeyed him. They humbly trusted him. And he used them to bring in this miraculous catch of fish not only did he just, he used them to do that, but he actually gives them credit. I love it here in verse 10. It says, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Like they didn't catch anything. They fished all night. It didn't catch a thing right? It's kind of like whenever, you know, you, you go fishing with your kids, and your kid throws the, you know, you, you cast it out there for them, and they're holding the bobber, and, you know, they're doing the fishing, but you're right there with them, and the bobber goes under, and you pull it, and you help, you know, you've got your hand on there, and they've got their hand on there, and you help them reel it in, reel it in. They get it to the bank, and you pick it up, and you say, look at that fish that you just caught, right? Jesus was guiding and empowering them to catch this fish, and Jesus is giving them credit, and, and the Father uses our humble obedience to his word to gather people into his kingdom. And he just delights for us to be a part of it. Uh, Sherry got this fun idea to have our kids each cook a meal this summer. And um, so Francis was the first one up. And so Francis and Sherry planned out the meal. They bought all the stuff online. They went and got the stuff. They paid for it with our money, and then Francis, and, you know, Sherry and Francis, they were cook, ch- cooking uh, chicken piccata, and so Francis and Sherry worked on the piccata sauce and everything in the kitchen, and then I was out in, a, in the in the patio, like grilling all the chicken. And Francis would like run in the kitchen help Sherry, and she would run out here and she would help me with the chicken, and then we we brought it all together and we put it out on the meal, we put it all out on the table, and so we all sat down to eat as a family. And Francis said, "Look, everybody, look at this meal that I made for you." And we said, yes, thank you so much, Francis, for making this wonderful meal. We delighted that Francis participated with us in serving each other. That's how our Heavenly Father looks at us whenever we participate in his mission of bringing people into salvation. He delights in us. He enjoys us. He loves to give us the credit and to make us be a part of it. That's the first thing we see is that God uses ordinary disciples To achieve his glorious mission. And the second thing we see is that God uses this ordinary proclamation of the gospel, just an ordinary proclamation of the word, to bring people into his kingdom. Right? What happens? This miraculous fish comes in, and John realizes it's Jesus, and he says, It's the Lord. Now, if you go back and you read John 20, you read John 21, you see this really interesting dynamic between Jesus and Peter, where Peter is always like the first one to act, but John is the first one to believe. In both situations, at the tomb and in the boat, John is the first one that believed that Jesus is resurrected. And right here, John says, it's the Lord, and what does Peter do? He jumps in the water and he starts swimming to Jesus. Right? What did God do? God used John's ordinary profession of faith in the Lord to draw Peter to him. And that's the same thing God does for us even now, that he uses the ordinary proclamation of the gospel, the ordinary profession of faith in Christ, to draw, to reveal that Jesus is Lord and to draw people to him. Uh, One of the commentaries I read on this passage um, said that in general, research shows that even though we have in America, in the the Western world, in in these first world countries, we have the best technology, we have the best methods, we have the best research, we have the best science, churches really only reach very few outsiders for the gospel every single year. In contrast, in in third world countries where they don't have the technology, the fancy methods, all the philosophies, all the gadgets, all those things, in these third world developing countries, we're seeing more and more people come to Christ every year, and we're seeing the church explode. Why? Because they're doing it through the straightforward, ordinary relationships with people and the straightforward presentation of the gospel. They're not relying on methods and know-how and technology. They're building relationships with people. They're sharing the gospel. They're living in community. And God is using them. He's using them greatly. Um, and we, we have seen that same thing here in our church. Uh, I was talking with a, a member this week. And, and, he, and I was, somebody else had told me that he became a Christian because of this member. And so I sat down with this member. I was like, hey, this guy told me that he became a Christian because of you. Like, tell me about that story. And he said, yeah, I would have never thought that God would have used me in that way. But we worked together. And so because we were at work, we, we were going on trips together. So we spent a lot of time in the car together. So we talked. We developed a friendship. And then one Easter, I invited him to church. And the guy said, well, I, you're going to hate this about me, but I don't really go to church. And the guy said, well, I don't, I don't care. You're still my friend. I just wanted to invite you. But he, he kept up that relationship. He maintained that friendship. That started a conversation about the gospel. And over time, that guy eventually came to church with his family. He eventually professed his faith in Christ and became a believer. All through an ordinary disciple sharing his life with somebody else and, and giving a straightforward just proclamation of the gospel. God used that to accomplish his glorious mission and bring someone to eternal life. So God uses ordinary disciples. He uses the ordinary proclamation of the gospel. And then he uses ordinary fellowship of believers. Uh, I love that after this fishing expedition, what do they do? They sit down and they eat a meal together. Jesus says, come on, guys. I've got a fire ready. I've got fish on the fire. I've got bread. Let's sit down and eat. In that culture, table fellowship was an intimate experience. If you invited somebody to eat a meal with you, you wanted to know them. You wanted to be intimate with them, you wanted to be personal. Very similar in our culture, right? Like if somebody just says, you know, you have like a three-minute conversation with somebody and you kind of do casual small talk, you kind of get to know each other. You think, oh yeah, like that person is a nice person. Maybe they want to get to know me. They're being friendly. But what if they invite you to their house for a meal? They really want to get to know you, don't they? They really want to be intimate. They really want to develop a relationship. And it's, and it's there inside their home that you're probably going to develop a, a close, intimate relationship where you're going to become deep friends. Well, that's what Jesus wants here is he invites these guys into this meal. And it's interesting. It says that um, after the meal or in the context of the meal, it says, Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. And it says, now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. It was in the context of this meal that he revealed himself as Lord. We'll fast forward to the book of Acts. What do we see? What do we see in the early church? How do they do evangelism? Is it through fancy programs and elaborate presentations? No, it's through meals. It's through partaking in the ordinary means of grace together. I want to read John or Acts chapter 2 to you guys quickly here. I don't have it on the slide, so I'm going to have to read it. I'm going to have to find it. 42 to 47. Listen to this. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That V there tells you that this is specific. There was a specific teaching from the apostles that they were studying. And there's a specific fellowship, the fellowship of believers that they experienced. And there's a specific meal, the breaking of the bread, the Lord's Supper, communion. And there are specific prayers, probably the Psalms. This is a formal gathered worship service in which they're participating in the means of grace. So you've got this formal worship service, which is what we're doing right here. We're, we're doing very, very similar things right here. And then later, you see there's informal fellowship. If you skip down, uh, well, I'm just going to read it all verse 43, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So they were radically being generous and sharing things with each other. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So they're They're sharing with each other radically. They're engaging in radical hospitality where they're eating together in each other's homes. So they've got this formal worship that they're engaging in and they've got this informal table fellowship that they're engaging in. And look what it says at the end. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. God's method of evangelism in the book of Acts was worship through the word and the sacraments. formal worship. And then this informal table fellowship together. That's how people were believing that Jesus was the Lord. That's how they were attracted to the gospel. That's how they were growing in grace. That's how people were experiencing eternal life. And it's the same thing today. God uses this, this formal worship service, this ordinary thing that we're doing here, and we do every Sunday, to proclaim that Jesus is the Lord and to give people eternal life. And he uses things like ethos groups and our service projects and our meals with ethos and all these uh, informal things that we do together so people can see that Jesus is the Lord and they can experience life there and they can say, that's, that's what I want. I wanna be a part of this body. And I think one of the tragedies of, I would say, our individualistic culture is too often Christians are trying to follow Jesus on their own. They're trying to make it just me and Jesus. All I need is me and Jesus. And you can't do that. Jesus uses this ordinary fellowship of believers to reveal himself. Um, I listen to a lot of uh, talks by Alcoholic Anonymous and Celebrate Recovery. And one of the things I'm always jealous of is the way that their community helps each other. The way they heal and they change and they grow in community. And this week I was listening to one talk and and the guy said that he had grown up in the church. He had gone to church. He had gone to Alcoholics Anonymous for years, like seven or eight years. But yet he'd only been sober 89 days in a row, basically in his adult life. He said the reason why is he never really understood the community aspect of either one of those groups until his sponsor said, I want you to go to AA, and I want you to shake everybody's hand before it starts and tell them you're glad to see him. And he said when he started doing that, and he looked them in the eye, and he saw that they were glad to see him, he felt like he was at home. And he wasn't alone. And that began to change him. And I just thought, man, what if the church was like that? What if our church was like that? What if people walked in and when they looked you in the eye and greeted you, they sought genuine care and compassion, and they felt like they were at home, and they were loved. What would that do to people? We have the Word of God. We have the presence of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We can give that to them. We can give them a home where they could heal through the gospel. You can't, you can't do this life on your own. Um, But we often try to do that. Uh, We can't believe these truths on our own. I had a a friend who was doing jury duty once, and he was talking with one of the other jurors, and of course they said, hey, what do you do? And he said, I'm a pastor. And the the other juror said, you know, I'm a Christian, but I haven't gone to church in years, and I'm really struggling with my faith. And the pastor just said, you know what? He said, I can't believe in the resurrection by myself. I have to have the body of believers with me to help me believe in the resurrection. And that other juror, it like, it woke her up. And she went to worship, and she began to grow in worship again, and she began to thrive in her faith. She, could, she realized she couldn't do it on her own, and neither can we. God uses ordinary disciples, and he uses the ordinary means of grace, and he uses the ordinary fellowship to accomplish his glorious mission. And the last thing we see is that he uses ordinary leaders like Peter and John. Look back at the passage, uh, John 21, verse 15. And it says, and when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon and Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter followed him and Peter became a pillar of the early church. He preached the first sermon at Pentecost where thousands of people came to faith um, he, he took the gospel out to the Jews. He carried his cross metaphorically until he carried it physically. Uh, the legend has it that Peter was crucified like Jesus, but he didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified uh, up, like right side up the way Jesus was, so he asked to be crucified upside down. But it, it was this uh, repentant, redeemed sinner that God used to lead the early church. And God still uses repentant, redeemed leaders today to shepherd his church, to care for them, to tend them, to make sure that their souls are fed and they're protected. And and that's, whether you like it or not, that's the, when we look throughout the New Testament, we see that God has placed leaders, uh, shepherds, elders, pastors over the church. And their job is to care for you. Our job is to care for you. Mine and Tyler's and our other elders. And we want to do that. We're sinners saved by grace just like you guys, but we want to care for you. We want to shepherd you. And Lord willing, God will use that to bring more and more people to Christ. But not only does he use shepherds, he uses teachers like John. Look back at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And he said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he, was not going to, that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he will remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose, of the world itself. Could not contain the books that would be written. God used John's faithful testimony here in the Gospel of John and in the epistles of John to bring many, many faith, to faith in Jesus. And as we see in the New Testament, uh, it's, Paul says in Ephesians that God uses the evangelists, the teachers, the shepherds, the pastors to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so what God still does today is he uses those leaders in the church to equip you for the work of ministry so that every member in our church can go out and be a part of God's glorious mission to share eternal life with others. What does that look like? Uh, there's a, a great example of this I heard a few years ago by a pastor in California. And uh, th- this pastor in California, he had a neighbor and he was uh, getting to know his neighbor one night and they were, they were uh, talking And of course, then, you know, the neighbor said, what do you do? And he said, I'm a pastor. And he said, what do you do? And he said, well, I make adult films. And the pastor said, oh, okay. Well, they, the pastor and his family maintained a friendship with this man. And eventually that guy's girlfriend, he, uh, she had a stroke and she got put in the hospital. And because of her stroke, she had to have heart surgery, brain surgery, and she had other complications. Well, all of their pretty friends from the film industry totally ditched them while they're in the hospital because she was in the hospital for a long time. But this pastor and his family, they brought her meals, and they sat with her. And then one Sunday, the man called up, uh, the pastor's name, Tim, Jason, called up Tim and said, hey, Tim, would you come over and pray for us? And Tim honestly said, he was like, I don't know if I want to go. He didn't tell him that, but he was like thinking about it. He's like, I don't know if I want to go. And Tim's wife was like, dude, you've been praying for opportunities like this. Go down and pray with him. And so he went to the hospital, and he prayed with him. And in their prayers, they all started weeping. And Jason said, if I would have known that Christians were like this, I would have considered Christianity earlier. Well, eventually his girlfriend got out of the hospital and they were meeting with Tim. And the girlfriend said, I want to go to your church, Tim. And Tim said, you know, you don't have to do that for us to be friends, that's really okay. And Jason said, no, we know that. But you're the only people that we've met in LA that care about anybody but themselves. And so sure enough, that next Sunday... Jason and his girlfriend were sitting in the front row of Tim's church. And Tim says in the front row of his church that day was uh, Jason and his girlfriend, a, a musician who was off tour, an actress from Mad Men, a heroin addict, and the sweetest little Christian family that you'd ever met. And he said, he looked down and he said, Jesus, these are your people. These are the people that you'd give me to shepherd. And after the worship service, um, That couple stayed for an hour, and people from the congregation came up and talked to them and prayed with them, and that couple kept wanting to meet with Tim later on for prayer. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, of everybody working together to minister to someone, to help them experience the love of Christ and come to faith and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of church that we want to be. That's the kind of body that we want to be. That's the kind of God that we serve. He uses ordinary disciples and the ordinary means of grace to do miraculous things.